But don't worry, I took care of that this morning before I left, too. So, when I found out I was going to be preaching on today, and this was about several weeks ago, I was starting to think to myself, what do I want to talk about on this morning? Now, I'm a preacher of the cross. I love preaching the cross. The thing is, though, there's so many aspects to it. I had a hard time deciding, okay, what aspect am I going to talk about? But what I decided to do, because I'm one of those guys, and anybody that's been in my life group or heard me teach in Sunday school or anything like that knows that I always have a lot to say. So on this morning, instead of just talking about one aspect of the cross, I'm going to give you my reflections on the cross. And so if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. Starting at verse 44. And I'm going to read down to verse 46. Jesus is speaking here and he's uh, giving parables to all who are listening to him. And in verse 44, it says again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so I want to take off from there because in those parables, Jesus is emphasizing the fact that someone finds something that is of great worth to them, but in order to attain it, it costs them something. It costs them something. When I was a youngster, probably around 12, 13, 14 years old, growing up in the city of Chicago, I wanted to be a pro basketball player. I uh, had some talent, had a knack for the game, and so that's what I aspired to, but I had one problem. I didn't understand and really didn't think about the fact that there were others who were just as good as I was or better. And in order to separate myself from them, there was a price to pay, and that price was hard work, determination, and focus. And as you can tell, I didn't make it to the NBA. In the 80s, there was a TV show, and it was based on a very famous movie during the 80s called Fame. Remember Fame? I'm going to live forever. I'm going to learn how to fly. That type of thing. I won't sing it for you because you'd run out of here then. Well, the movie was so popular that they decided to make a TV show. And one of the stars of that show was Debbie Allen. Now, Debbie Allen was a famous dancer, actress, director. She did some of everything. And she was the sister of another famous woman, Felicia Allen herself, who played Claire Huxtable in The Cosby Show. Well, during the intro of the show, there was a famous line that she had. She was in the classroom, and she was before her students here, and I think it was near the beginning of the year. And 
She wanted them to understand what it would take to be successful in her class. So here's the famous line that she gave. She said, you got big dreams. You want fame. Well, fame costs. And right here is where you start paying in sweat. And then she ended it with, I want to see sweat. She was trying to get across to them that whatever they wanted, whatever they desired, and anything that's worth having and aspiring to costs you something. It's not free. Now, there are two crosses that await every person who is here on this earth. There is a cross for the sinner, and there's a cross for the saint. Turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And we're going to start at verse 27. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and his heart is becoming heavy because he knows his time is near. So John chapter 12, verse 27. It says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Now, as a youngster, before I could eat, I was taught that I had to say grace. You had to bless the food and you had to give God thanks for it. Now, if you guys were like me, I really was focused on eating. I really wasn't focused on saying some long, drawn-out prayer to give God thanks for it. So I wanted to come up with something that was short and sweet and to the point so I could eat. And so, now, I don't know where I got this from, but and you may have heard this yourself. But I used two words, Jesus wept, that sufficed, and I was ready to eat. Now, as I got older and I got serious about my walk with the Lord, I started studying the scriptures and I started to wonder and I thought about it, where did Jesus wept come from? I know Jesus, of course, is in the scriptures, so I started to search the scriptures and guess what I found? I found the verse where that is stated. Turn with me to John 11, verse 35. There are the two words, Jesus wept. But of course, the next question that I would ask is, why was he weeping? So what I did is I went to the beginning of the chapter, and I started to see that this is a story about Lazarus. And so I said, well, let me find out why was he weeping? Because this is the son of God. Why would he be weeping? So in verse 1 in John 11, it says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus 
of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now, when I got to that point, I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Word has been sent to Christ that Lazarus, whom he loved, is dead. And I would imagine whatever Lazarus had going on with him, it wasn't something as simple as the common cold. He didn't have a tummy ache because word was sent to Jesus that he's sick. So he had to seriously be sick. But instead of Jesus going and rushing to his friend's side or speaking the word right from where he was, because remember, in Matthew chapter, I believe, 8, he heals the servant of this Roman soldier by just speaking the word right where he was. But Jesus does neither. The scripture says here that he stayed in that place two more days. So I'm like, okay, I need to read on because this is not making sense to me so far. So verse 7 says, Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. Now, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm really scratching my head right now. Because I've just explained to you or expressed our concern to you, Jesus, that if you go back to Judea, they're ready to stone you there. And you're talking to us about walking in the light and there are 12 hours in the day. And if a man walk in the night, he shall stumble. So they had to be scratching their heads at this point as well, just like I was. Verse 11, these things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. So it's still not making sense to them. He's sleeping. He's resting, Lord. Why would you go all the way to Bethany just to wake him up? What Jesus explains, he says, how be it in Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. So Jesus and his disciples journey to Bethany. And when they get to Bethany, they encounter Martha. Let's look at verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. So Lazarus is dead, and he's been in the grave for four days. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming... 
went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever that thou wilt ask of God, God will give it of thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believe this, Martha? And Martha responds, yes, I believe, because you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who should come into the world. So after this encounter, Martha runs back in to where Mary is and secretly tells her that, hey, the master is calling for you. Now, it's kind of curious, why is it that Mary didn't get up right away when she heard that the master was near? But when Martha told her that the master called for her, that's when she got up. And she said the exact same thing to Jesus. Jesus, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And so let's go to verse 33. It says, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. And here's where we come to our verse. Jesus wept. This is still not making sense to me because Jesus, who's the son of God, he's raised people from the dead before. He's healed the sick. He's opened blinded eyes. He's unstopped deaf ears. I mean, he's done all of these many miracles and signs and wonders. And he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why is he weeping? Now, I've heard it said that, well, the reason why he was weeping was because he has such great compassion for the others who were weeping. I can understand that to a certain extent, but I really don't think, because he had exhibited great compassion before. And the scriptures never tell us that he is weeping. So let's read on. Verse 36, then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus says, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe that thou shouldest see the glory of God? It appears to me Jesus is weeping. He's groaning in his spirit. And when he gives direction to roll the stone away, Martha says, wait a minute, Jesus. Lazarus has been dead four days. He's stinking by now. Jesus is pretty irritated right now. But why is he so irritated? Verse 40, 41, I'm sorry. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. 
And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I've heard it said that the reason why he called Lazarus by name, because if he had just said, come forth, everybody in their graves would have got up. So he had to call Lazarus specifically. In verse 44, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, unto them, should I say, loose him and let him go. Now. Jesus has raised him from the dead. Lazarus comes hopping out, bound hand and foot. Jesus tells him, loose this man and let him go. But I still don't have an answer to my question. Why is Jesus weeping? And why is he irritated? Well, I think as I continue to read on, I think I stumbled upon the answer. Look at verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary... And had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Hmm. So we got two groups of people. One group who believes on Jesus and the others who go and tell the Pharisees. Troublemakers, people trying to stir the pot. Verse 47. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Now, that's really funny to me. We have an individual here who has just raised somebody from the dead who's been dead for four days. And instead of like, maybe this really is the Messiah. No, these Jews are concerned about their place and nation with Rome. They're afraid that Rome is going to overthrow them. Look at verse 49. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. Now this begins to make sense to me. We see from the very beginning when Jesus first received word that Lazarus was sick. Instead of getting up and going to see him, he waits two days. That lets me know that this is a plan that's going on. And the only ones who know are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. As we read here, no one else had a clue. When Jesus gets there, he's groaning in his spirit, and he reaches the point where he starts to weep. And after doing so, he groans even more. And see, what happened was the reason why I believe he was weeping and he was groaning in his spirit because he knew when he raised Lazarus from the dead, that was going to set off a series of events that would accelerate his path to the cross. That's why he was weeping. Now, it wasn't because Jesus was scared to die. Remember, he was sinless. Death had no power over him. He willingly submitted himself 
to death. But here is the thing. By raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus was actually trading places with him. That's what he understood. The thing is, and I, I want you to hear this, a transaction took place on Calvary in which all the evil due to us came on Jesus, that all the good that belongs to Jesus would come to us. A transaction was going on here. That's why he was weeping. On the cross, if you remember, there was a point where he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I believe it was at that moment where Jesus felt the full weight of the world's sin upon his shoulder. So much so that maybe now there are those who believe that at that moment, the father may have turned his face away because at that point, Jesus became sin for us. Now, what are the repercussions of sin? All we have to do is look at the world that we're living in right now. Disorder. Chaos, sickness, disease, murder, backbiting, lust, greed, you name it. All of that comes from sin. Jesus bore all of that on himself on Calvary's cross. And this exchange took place on Calvary's cross. What happened was Jesus took our punishment and we received his forgiveness. Jesus took our wounds and he gives us his healing. Jesus took our sinfulness and he gave us his righteousness. The Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took our death, which we rightly deserved, and gave us his life. Jesus took upon himself our curse so that we would receive his blessings. Jesus took upon himself our shame. And in, he, in exchange, he gave us his glory. Jesus took upon himself our rejection. And we received his acceptance. Jesus took upon himself our bondage. And we received from him his freedom. Go back to the picture of Lazarus. He's dead. He's stinking in the grave. Jesus commands that he rise up and come out. Now, Lazarus is made alive, but how did he come out of the grave? Came out bound, hopping forward. What does that tell me? That even after Jesus raises you from the dead, you still need to be set free. That's why I love the name of this church, Freedom Fellowship. And the place to obtain this freedom is at the foot of the cross. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus understood this principle. That it's very important for all of us to understand anything worth having, it costs. Anything worth attaining, it costs. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who, what was the joy that was set before him? You. Me. Seeing us born again, seeing us set free from every bondage that the enemy tries to place on us, seeing us walk in freedom. That was the joy. And one day, we're going to walk with him in his kingdom. There's a mansion waiting on us. I already told Jesus what I want in my mansion. I'm a big time reader. So I expect, I really don't care too much about the rest of my house as long as there's a huge library with books on every side. And you ever been in one of those historic libraries where they had a huge ladder and you have to climb up to get to the top if you want a book up there? That's how I want my study to be. <laughs> Calvary, a perfect work. Perfect in every respect, perfect in every aspect. Now, I didn't come up with this on my own. I got this from a book that I've read probably like three or four times, and it's by Derek Prince, a well-known evangelist, preacher, teacher, who's going on to be with the Lord. Well, early in his walk with the Lord, he had contracted this serious skin disease. He had been to the doctor's, and the doctors had no cure for him. And so he suffered with this for a long time until a Salvation Army uh, female general who was filled with the Holy Spirit, another woman from Oklahoma who was filled with the Holy Spirit, and another soldier who loved the Lord went to him. And they went to pray for him in this car. And the power of God just fell on the car, so much so, though the engine was not running, it was shaking like this. Now, Derek Prince didn't get healed right away, but God gave him this word, Calvary, a perfect work, perfect in every respect, perfect in every aspect. The reason why it's a perfect work, and use that, substitute the word perfect with complete. It accomplished everything that it needed to accomplish. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look real quick at what it accomplished. Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 13. It says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. At the cross, Jesus conquered the devil. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter three, verse eight.
it says that he that committed sin is of the devil. For the devil sent it from the beginning. For this purpose or reason, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So at the cross, Jesus destroyed every work of the enemy. Go to Revelation chapter 5. I tell you, if you don't know your books of the Bible, you're going to know by the end of this morning. Revelation chapter 5. Let's go to, let's start at verse 1. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven spirits, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. But thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, and tongue, and people, and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Jesus has redeemed us from the hand of the enemy. Now, the reason why I'm going to all of these places, because I want to build your faith. Jesus gave his all so that we could receive his all. And so please don't let his death be for nothing. If you have a bondage and you want to be set free, today is your day. If you have sin in your life and you want to let it go, today is your day. If you don't know Jesus and the pardon of your sin, today is your day. Now is your time. If you're impoverished, Jesus can make you rich, rich in spirit primarily, but he can multiply your finances as well. Any need you have was purchased for us at Calvary's cross. Go with me one more place, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. It says, Wherefore remember, yet ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at the same time ye were without Christ, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make it himself of two, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Look at verses 14 through 16. It says, for he is our peace who hath made both one. Who is the both? Jew and Gentile. It says there in the scriptures that the Jews were near to the covenants of promise and the commonwealth of Israel. But the rest of us who are Gentiles were far away. It is through the cross that the Gentiles are brought near to the covenants of promise and the commonwealth of Israel. The Bible talks about how we are engrafted into the vine. But he didn't just stop there. He then made Jew and Gentile one. The Bible says one new man, but he didn't stop there. He also then reconciled both Jew and Gentile to God, making us all one. I hope you see the picture of the cross. Jew, Gentile, one. The one new man reconciled unto God. The cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I said that there were two crosses that await every person on earth. We've talked about Calvary's cross upon which Jesus hung, but there's still one left. Go with me to John chapter 21. John 21. Starting at verse 15. <clears throat> By this time, Jesus has died. He was buried. And he's been raised from the grave. And he meets with the disciples. And he's even, they're out there fishing. And he joins them out there. And he even dines with them. But then he kind of moves over. And he wants to speak specifically to Simon Peter. In verse 15, it says, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, Thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. 
This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he has spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. So Jesus is charging Peter. He's giving him a charge. He says, you can go where you want right now, but there's coming a time where you won't be able to do that. Regardless of that, follow me. Now, if you know the story of Peter, the day came where Peter had to give his life for the gospel. And they hung him on a cross. And he was not afraid of that one bit, but he had one request. He said, instead of hanging me right side up on the cross, he said, turn it upside down. Because he didn't feel he was worthy to die the same way that his master died. Now, when I was growing up, and I'm talking about five, six, seven, eight years old. We lived on the west side of Chicago. And we attended Pleasant Ridge Missionary Baptist Church, where the Reverend S.T. Evans was the pastor. If you're in Chicago, you're going to have the title Reverend in front of your name. And his wife, a beautiful woman, used to lead the choir in song. And one of the songs she used to sing the lyrics went like this. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. The first cross I mentioned is for the sinner, but the second cross is for the saint. Jesus said, if you desire to be my disciples, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Now we have examples in the scriptures. Turn to Acts chapter 7. We have Stephen, the deacon, who gives an amazing testimony about what God was doing in the earth. And those who had arrested him hated him for it. In verse 54, they said, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Can you imagine being so angry with somebody that they would start biting you? But you being so angry, you start biting them? That's a person that truly needs deliverance. Verse 55, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Look at that. It says he fell asleep. Instead of saying he died, because for the saint, that's how God looks at it. You don't really die. You just transition from one state of living to the next. Praise God for that. In John chapter 12, you don't have to go here, but James, the brother of John, was killed as well for his testimony. 
In Acts chapter 14, the apostle Paul, who was Saul here in Acts chapter 7, but was converted. And he endured great persecution. They stoned him. to They thought he was dead, so they walked away. As they're walking away, in the midst of the other disciples, he stands up because God wasn't done with him. And if you read the testimony of Paul, you know that he laid down his life for the kingdom as well. Now, we have modern-day persecution as well. We have believers in North Korea, China, the Middle East, in Africa, and places like northern Nigeria, the Sudan, and Uganda, where Christians are being persecuted for the cause of the kingdom. They are willingly taking up their cross and following Jesus. Now, the question I have is, will believers in America suffer the same persecution? I don't know, but I do believe that we should be preparing our hearts and minds for that possibility. And I would use Hebrews chapter 10. Go there real quick, and we're going to end. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. The writer of Hebrews is writing this letter to encourage this, a group of saints who are really being persecuted. And some of them are starting to doubt their faith and they're starting to draw back. And he wants, them to, wants to encourage them to keep on going, keep on going. Verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so the much more as ye see the day approaching. So the writer encourages us in several things. He says, enter often into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus. Please, as a believer, seek God with all your heart. It says here, draw near to God with a true heart. Be determined. Be focused. It says, hold fast to your confession. Now, I don't know about you, but I know what strengthens my confession is knowing more and more about the promises of God that are in his word. Then it says, stir up the love for one another through good works. In other words, go out of your way to show love to a brother or a sister in Christ. That way, it'll stir up something with them, and they'll want to draw more and more closer to fellow believers. That's the reason why it ends by talking about do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, that is something that is truly a burden on my heart. Because one thing that I have found, and I, I understand it, but then part of me doesn't understand it. When we go through trials and tribulations, why is it that we tend to draw away from other believers? You decide, 
well, man, I'm going through. I'm not going to go to church on this morning. Or I'm not going to go to Bible study. Or I'm not going to meet with the brothers here. Or I'm not going to meet with the sisters there. Why is it that we draw away? We're supposed to draw near to one another. The Bible speaks of the fact that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to bear one another's burdens. There's a gospel song out there. I don't even know who makes it, but it's, it goes basically like this. No man is an island. You can't make it without me. And I can't make it without you. So when you're going through things, and it feels like it's really getting heavy, call a brother, call a sister. Let them know that you're going through so that we can pray with you. We can pray over you. And we can take authority over the enemy because we've already talked about the fact that the cross has given us victory over everything that the enemy can bring against us. Amen? That's just personal with me. Please. Don't draw away because you're going through something. Draw near. Draw near to God first, and then draw near to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, everyone stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Earlier I mentioned that there are two crosses that await everyone. The first one is for the sinner. And that's who I want to address now. If you're in here and you know that you do not know Jesus, that your sins have not been washed away, that you have not been made new, and if you died on this evening, you do not know where you would go. If that is you, be bold enough to lift your hands and let us know. Maybe you are someone, you walked with the Lord. But for whatever reason, you have backslidden. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If that is you, would you slip up your hand? see your hands. You can let them down. What I would like you to do, if you raised your hand, before you come up, the ministry team, if you're here, would you come forward? slipped up your hand, I want you to come forward to one of these ladies or gentlemen, and they'll pray with you. They'll lead you. Whatever concerns you might have, partner with them. Yeah, you can go to this side over here. 